This, 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 this show is brought to you by Safety FM. Welcome to episode one of the Practice of Learning Teams. On today's show, we're joined by Dr. Todd Conklin, the godfather of learning teams. In this two-part series, Todd will share with us about the past, the present, and the future of learning teams. Join us now in this wonderful conversation with Todd. Look, welcome, Todd, to uh, episode one, numero umero, number one, first episode of the Practice of Learning Team. This is the maiden voyage of your podcast? It is. It's, it's the Wow, what an honor. And um, if we can get half of it right, I'll be happy. Uh, I'm not sure you'll ever get a pod. I don't think podcasts are right or wrong. So I, I, I think podcasts are just conversations. And to me, there's not a right or wrong. I would just talk to lots of people outside of the field. Uh, and we, we're certainly going to be embracing diversity of thought, as we say. Amen, brother. Process, absolutely. And um, we're going to be trying to, uh, through, through the series, we're going to be talking to different people on their journey, which I think is amazing. And what's really important is that the listeners out there get to participate as well. And we've built what's called a learning journal. So at the end of, at the end of every podcast, um, myself, uh, Glynis and Brett Robinson, we get together and we reflect on what the other person has spoken about. And then we ask the listeners to participate in a journal so that they can give us their feedback and in particular talk to us about when do they see opportunities for learning teams and where do they see the barriers for learning teams within the organizational context. Wow, impressive. How come you don't call your podcast Two Brents and a Glynis? Well, that, that's actually interesting. Yesterday, Jay called it um, Glynis and, and Brent times two. Or Brent uh, squared. That yeah, would work. Yeah, we are. We are. And, and we're also doing a, um, a once a week on LinkedIn is going to be the Glynit Minute. Oh, nice. Glynis. Yeah, nice. That's and good. The uh, Bear Essentials from uh, Brent Robinson, where he looks at the lean side. And then for me, I'm going to be doing a little one minute thing called the Spotlight on BS. Nice. That's your initial. Yeah. yeah. No, I got it. It's, yeah, you know yeah. that it has another meaning, right? Well, we're hopeful, but that's about as controversial as we can get. But even New Zealand has bulls. It does. And quite a bit of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Quite. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> As part of our approach, because uh, like you guys, we have an election coming up. Yes. Yes. So. Good luck. Good luck, my brother. See how elections take, function. Take nothing for granted. Take nothing yeah. for granted. But look, what I thought, episode one, uh, what I thought would be really useful to, uh, for the listeners is to basically hear how this crazed idea came about. So that's a good question. So, so we'd, um, we'd had a really interesting series of operational events at Los Alamos National Laboratory. And we were doing a lot of investigations and we were we had a cadre of investigators who eventually also became auditors so which is i think efficient to have auditors and investigators uh, coexist 
but the problem is is that an audit seeks deviation and reinforces compliance and and what was happening is our investigations would then therefore seek deviation and really reinforce compliance it's like so many other companies it wasn't it wasn't really an unusual problem but it was interesting and my boss chris chris cantwell he said god i wish there was a way we could just put a bunch of employees in the room and just ask them what do we need to know about this event and i said well it seems like we could do that anytime and he said why don't we just do it and i said okay consider it done and so we were looking at i can't even it's funny brent i can't remember what the event is i remember the next event because that's kind of important to the story but the event we're looking at we brought together a group of workers and we basically just said this event happened we can't suck it back i mean there's just there's no way to change history what should we learn from this and it was uh it was amazing because at first the workers were like well uh how much truth can you handle can you handle the truth you know how honest you want us to be and i'm like eh, near as i could tell we got about the greenest light we could get on this um the big boss said do it let's just do it so let's just be honest so we started talking and as every good meeting goes somebody jumped up to the flip chart and started writing down what people were saying and in a really short amount of time i mean stunningly short amount of time considering we went through the whole storming norming forming and performing the the phases of the right. sort of you remember those yes right did, did i get them right close yeah yeah it was close enough right considering we went through all those steps of building trust and opening communication we probably within the first 45 minutes had the best deepest understanding of the event that transpired that the organization had ever had certainly better than the investigation and again the investigators weren't bad at all they're, they're really good they're amazing people but it was just such a different approach and then out of that we decided well maybe uh maybe we should give them some suggestions for a solution and so once we had a really good understanding of what the problem was which is something that always has to exist and, and i knew that from working with groups my whole career that you know you have to define the problem before you can create the solution so once we had a really good list of what the problem is and we had this amazing list of conditions and i just called them condi i didn't know what else to call them i don't know what you'd call them you know they could be factors i guess but they they were just conditions and it was it was remarkable because none of the comments made by that team were about the people we, they didn't talk about mistakes or errors in judgment or not falling they just talked about the work and then when we went into the solution set they actually had some really great ideas that didn't track with the, the corrective actions that were a part of the investigation and the management review so we had kind of an alternative set of data that we gathered in kind of a cool way so i checked back in with my boss as was the practice you know before you go home you kind of go hang out in your boss's office or, or we did because chris was a i mean he still is he's a great he's an amazing guy and he just said well how'd the great experiment go and i said you know dude we should be doing this for everything i said this was amazing i said it was faster it was way more palatable and it was much better information and people left engaged and happy I said it's it's kind of an amazing tool and he said 
well, what should we call it? And I remember I was standing in the hallway in front of his office and I said, I don't know, let's not give it some kind of gimmicky name. Let's, let's make the name describe what it is. And he said, well, what are you thinking? And I said, let's call them learning teams. And we called them learning teams. And the amazing thing is, is now I kind of wish we'd have named them something differently because I'm not sure that's, I mean, I don't know how I feel about it. I don't know if it's the best name or not. It's the name that you make up in the hallway. But I remember talking to Chris and saying, let's make the name describe what it is. So let's not call them, you know, grassroots safety or informal investigation or, or employee engagement sessions. Let's just call it a learning team. It's a team of people brought together in an ad hoc fashion, almost always directly involved with the event or potential event, unless they're not. And the reason I say unless they're not is because we learned really early that sometimes you need to bring engineering in, or sometimes you need to bring maintenance in, or sometimes you need to bring in somebody who has expertise about a process, because the more you look at the conditions present in the event, the more the event moves from the ash pile from the from the consequence back into the context and the context is almost always a place where the workers have very very little influence and even smaller amounts of control and look what, what what's interesting you're picking up on that uh, just your comment about the name of it putting marketing stuff aside a learning team when you say to to a bunch of workers we're running a learning team I know what you mean. Yeah, no, it's because, and it's, it's, it's because I said we should not name them something gimmicky. Because, you know, we were famous. So is your company. So is everybody's company. We're famous for thinking up gimmicky names. Yeah. Oh, but I just said, let's, let's, let's call it what it is. Now, here's my problem. Is now it freaks me out when I read academic papers or when I look at advertisements globally where they'll have, you know, a workshop on learning team or learning team effectiveness or learning team, uh, you know, uh, that you see them all the time. And I, and I always think about standing in that hallway in front of my boss's office, just making that name up. And I thought, had I known that opportunity, I would have named them, you know, like a Todd team. <laughs> Don't you think that would have been a cool name from Todd team? I, I but see, it wouldn't have met my test. I can see the t-shirt and the cap. Yeah. And the hat. And the hat. Yeah. It'll, it'll be there. No, the other day I got told it's simply a, a uh, uh, dialogic um, discussion with um, diverse groups of stakeholders. And I said, what would that mean to a worker? Yeah, exactly. And the answer is not jack squat is what it yeah, And yeah. you're right. I mean, you're right. In our need to give it sort of an academic name or a gimmicky name or a clever name. And I, they're all sort of equally, I mean, I don't think any none of it's bad right but i just i remember telling chris let's make the name describe what it is so then and my thinking was when we ask people to be on it we don't have to spend a lot of time explaining dialogic engagement session mm -hmm. right or stakeholder uh yeah. feedback what we could say is you know we're going to get together and this happened or or almost happened and we can't suck it back i mean it's not going back in so what can we learn from it? And so it was really important to have the word learning in it. And then, I don't know, team just sort of seemed like the right thing to do. Well, so, and it's funny how they've changed and grown and morphed. And, and now they're, it's, it's, quite, it's quite an effective tool. And, 
and I don't think this idea was necessarily um, a new idea. I'm not sure there are many new ideas. And I think that in quality, they've been doing sort of these engagement sessions. Safety was late to the game, but that's because we're always kind of late to the game. I mean, that's, that's how we roll. But I think even like going to the Gimba, all those kind of things that you, you talk about, uh, uh, what are the Japanese circles? Um, Kaizans? Is it Kaizans? Kaizans events, yeah. Gimbas, Kaizans, Kaizans. Right. Yeah, yeah. yeah, all those things are all a part of it. But it just, it was really important to make them informal. And it was really important to make them ad hoc yeah. so that you yeah. could subtract and add people as needed. Because it, you've done a bunch of learning teams, so, and I've done a bazillion right? It becomes really obvious when people are in the room that don't need to be. And it's kind of cool to say, yeah, I mean, maybe you're, you're not, uh, you're not as vital to this discussion or you weren't as big a part of this failure as we thought you might be. You guys, you, you can stay if you want to, but there's no need to stay. And lots of times people are kind of relieved and they got plenty to do. So they go to work. What I found more interesting is the ability to bring people in because of the informality because that's harder to do with a with a, a lean team or a kaizen team or those kind of teams but here you just you make a phone call you're like oh god we better we should talk to somebody in finance and pretty soon finance you make a call and somebody from finance runs down the hall and and you speed them up on the session and and they start talking about almost always whatever kind of limiting factors around the conditions existed you know we didn't have the budget we didn't have the money or it takes a long time to do that that, that kind of stuff which is what they're dealing with every day. Right. Yeah, and that's the other thing is that... Simply recall it every day. It recognizes the expertise for knowledge on that event or near event exists with the people who actually had the event. It doesn't exist with managers or supervisors or planners or even engineers. It, it exists with the people who are loading the truck or yeah, you because know, shutting off the furnace, whatever they're doing. Because as we know, everyone has a different view about risk. Yeah. Oh, completely. And, and then add to that, that everyone's perception of risk is different and risk itself is dynamic. It's, uh, it's kind of crazy to think we spent the last 50 years plus believing we could rank risk, we could assess risk, and we could manage risk. When in reality, I think we have kind of even a difficult time defining risk. Uh, yes, I mean, <clears throat> there's, 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 no, there's no doubt that we're probably better off um, being able to have a good shot at, at what harm the hazard can cause, but how it can cause harm can be quite variable. Yeah, oh, very much so. Yeah. To, me, to me, I've become more interested in how we can safeguard against multiple harms. So instead of looking at risk and thinking, I need to understand and manage risk, I just assume risk is high and incredibly dynamic. What I want to control, control's the wrong word, that was a little bit of a Freudian slip. What I want to understand is what kind of tolerances we can put in the system and what kind of safeguards we can put in the system. That seems more interesting to me. And that's kind of the great move from stopping the job before it fails to starting the job when the controls are in place. Well, I remember, Todd, when I first met you, uh, apart from your opening line of uh, the sleeping laxative, which, 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 is, which is a classic. What did I, I say? I interrupted you. 
Oh, uh, when, I, when I first met you, a, apart from your classic one-liner of a sleeping pool and a laxative. Oh, yes. Which, which, by the way, I think should have its own little HBO show. Yeah, it needs one. It would be really valuable. Um, one of the things that was really compelling but was so obvious but just wasn't thought about was the fact that you said, you know, people could only be killed because the hazard releases energy. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. And the people that know the best about how hazard releases energy are the people that are exposed to the hazard. Yeah. It's kind of a linear uh, deconstruction of hazard. And it's probably too linear for like Sidney Decker and those guys. But I mean, the bottom line is the reason people die from falls is because yeah. of the landing, right? Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's, yeah, it's, absolutely. it's, it's uncontrolled the energy. Hurts. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And so, therefore, if we are serious about this, and, and we have been in fall protection, fall protection is a really good example to show. You know, we don't really think about preventing the fall because we assume a fall is not a choice. We always assume a fall is an accident. They accidentally fell. Right. And so we don't actually tell people don't fall because that's stupid. What we do is we say when they fall, we will provide some kind of capacity in the system so that they don't fall to their death. They're still going to fall, but they're not going to fall to their death. And it's a really interesting question. I remember asking a board of directors, big fancy board of directors too, if they would trade a broken arm for a dead worker. Right, and they looked at me like I was nuts. Like, what, what? Who the hell are you? And they really did. They're just like, you know, what kind of blasphemy is this? And finally, I said, it's a serious question. Would you trade a broken arm for a dead guy? And they all said, well, yeah, of course. I mean, this, the, yeah. And I said, then you have to make it okay to break an arm, because right now it's just like they're dead when you break the arm. Because we treat a broken arm as if the entire universe failed. But if a guy falls off a work platform and his harness catches him and he breaks his arm, I would actually suggest that's a success because the potential outcome is fatality. Mm -hmm. The injury is just a kind of a ancillary cost to not dying. And then when we get at not killing people and we'll eventually get good at not killing people. We're getting better every day at not killing people. Then we can focus more on not hurting people. But thinking they're the same thing, that's really caused a lot of damage. Man, I'm all over the place this morning. I can't, I can't have a topic, clearly. <laughs> uh, look, for, for me, what organizations see from a learning team in, in particular, that um, things that control, and I think the word control is correct for a hazard, things that control the hazard-releasing energy, and things that try and influence people are completely different. Yeah, and they should be. Yeah. Right? Because an engineer control doesn't work with crap for people. Yeah. Right? Because I'll, I can, you know, you can, put, you can put stanchions and make me walk in one way. But if there was a gold bar on the other side of that stanchion, I'd probably climb over the stanchion to get the gold bar or a candy bar. Candy bar, yeah. Or Tim Tam. I would, I would do almost anything. To have a Tim Tam. Yeah, or a skinny, the one, a the one sad thing about the uh, quarantine is that uh, I have dramatically reduced my annual Tim Tam consumption to zero. I'm at, I'm at zero Tim Tams in more than six months. Wow. 
I know. It's it's tragic. What's happened to the share price? Of Tim Tams? Yeah. It's probably, it's probably bottomed out. <laughs> One of their major consumers. <laughs> Pull up the price of Corona. That's <laughs> right. Gone. It's, it's a cost. It's a, it's a cost. And how do you feel, Todd, um, about uh, sort of uh, one of the things that we, we, we talked about in the book was making learning teams stand alone by itself. That learning teams can work across any system. Yeah, so I think that's brilliant. And I would tell you that in my little concept of a learning team, I think I agree completely. But you can use a learning team for really anything that, in, that would be benefited by understanding and learning, right? Yeah. So you can, you can, I mean, the best learning team stories, which you'll start to have millions of them because you're collecting them, which is such a cool idea. It, the best learning team stories are almost never safety stories, although they're great safety stories. But, you know, they're learning teams put together for a, an operational problem or a production problem. Right. And what's funny is that the same, it's the same co-creation of an understanding of really formulation of the problem. I mean, that's what you're doing is you're using the team to identify conditions so you have a better understanding of the problem. It's all about the problem statement. And then once the problem statement is cleared, the solution's pretty easy. I mean, they, they sort of write themselves. And oh, you'll know you're You'll know you're successful with the learning team in your organization when they happen without you, which I absolutely guarantee without hesitation that they will happen without you. So if you're trying to track them and, and account for every learning team, I mean, good on you, you know, good luck and stuff. The problem is, is that once you teach this technique and once people use it, it's so efficient and so painless, emotionally painless, it's often painfully technically, but it's emotionally painless that they'll just use it. And what you'll start seeing out on the production floor, I mean, this happened to us, is you'll see flip charts living in the field with lists of conditions on them. And you'll look at them and think, well, there's only one thing that this represents. A group of workers swarmed together and actually made a list of conditions so they could better understand the problem. And then you're like, I guess we're done. I mean, that's as good as it gets. It doesn't get better than that. That's, that's the top. And, and, and in my time, I've, I've never, um, uh, when we run a learning team, we always get the people uh, that participate to share with us um, how they felt about it. And as you know, if you typically get the bell curve, you'll, you'll have those, some that love it, isn't that the point that, of a bell curve? That, that less love it and others that thought it was a waste of time. Isn't a bell curve always typically the reason? Isn't that the very point of a bell curve? <laughs> it is. There'll always be a bell yeah. curve. Isn't that how bell curves work? But I've, I've never, ever had anyone say that they felt the learning team was a waste of their time. Yeah, and, it's, and part of it is because they're, they're, they're really valuable and they're pretty fun and they're engaging. And the other part of it is if they don't fit, if they don't belong there, if, if they don't know anything about it, then chances are pretty high they don't need to be in the learning team. And right. chances are even higher they wouldn't be invited. But they're not exclusive. Now, I think they can get too big. So I don't know what you've found, but to me the sweet spot is about five to seven 
And then I always, for the second meeting, I always want to add a new person. Uh, absolutely, Get, getting getting that different different perspective later on. Well, yeah. So I want a differing opinion, right? I want a DPO, but I also want the team to have to summarize what they did the first session yeah. to bring that person along. So because then you get a really good snapshot of how they've thought about and processed the information since we last met. And there's always a much more fine edge on the detail of the conditions, and they always have sort of drifted to things they think are really important. It's not terribly scientific. I mean, maybe it is. It's just not scientific in my world. It's, it's different than a focus group. And focus groups are legit. They're, they're used for research all over the world. But it's not that different from a focus group. I, I think it's different from a focus group in that it was formed to solve a problem. The challenge is, is we just don't know what the problem is. So the first problem they solve, the sense-making part of this, which is really important, and you can kind of see when you deconstruct this and look backwards why it's successful. In complex systems, interrelated, interconnected, intercoupled, right? The definition of complexity. It's the sum of the parts that are always more interesting in an emergent fashion than any one individual part. And so a learning team really allows you to identify the, the interrelatedness, the interconnectedness, the sum of the parts by talking to people who actually use and own the entire system or, or to sort of talk of Dave Woods fashions, they sort of complete the design of the system in actually performing the operational activity. And look, I think, you know, one of the other things that's really important is that the learning team gives uh, visibility and transparency to that, to that yeah. context. And yeah, that's, risk management that's is a really good context. observation. Yeah. That's a, that's a really smart observation you just made. Uh, you can take tomorrow off because it is, it's incredibly transparent. Correct. I mean, it's incredibly transparent. It's, there's nothing about it that's in the smoke-filled room. There's nothing about it that's at the management level that you can't have access or you're too dumb to know this or you're not powerful or you're not in the right classification to be at this meeting. It's really transparent. And it's pretty much anyone who understands and was involved in what happened or nearly happened um, can be a part of, of that conversation. It should be a part of that conversation. And it's not about right or wrongs. Yeah, there are no right and wrong. Oh. That's the best part of a learning team is that chances are really high that the problem you think you're going in to solve will not be the problem you actually leave the room with. Absolutely. Yeah. Solve. Yeah, correct. And look, and we've used some fancy pants words in, in the book, Todd. We, we talked about, um, you know, the, the importance of having functional diversity being part uh-huh. of the learning team, which is basically, <laughs> you know. Well, that's brilliant, right? I mean, that's exactly what you want. It's, and it is, uh, it sounds very fancy pants. Like you, it seems like you could put that in your dissertation title, mm-hmm. a narrative study of functional diversity and emergent learning, in emergent dialogic. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I'll think of some other name for it. Well, in our new world, anything with the word diversity, I get medals being minted for me. Yes, so we've got we've got functional diversity, and then we've got diversity of thought. Right, but diversity is so paramount in creating resilience when I mean, you have to, I mean, you have, it's just transparency, but you have to have 
you know, diversity is many things, but you want diverse opinions, diverse ideas. You want to really be squared away in understanding that you're shooting with a wide um, scatter, not a narrow scatter. And, and that's, that's really valuable because the context that you're going to gain. So the event that happened didn't start because of the root cause. I put quotes around that when I said root cause. It started way earlier. The seeds for tomorrow's disaster are planted today. And we have, we've always known that. That's not interesting knowledge. It's just that our tools have said, basically, look at the triggering event and call that causal. So normally, then, what happens is the last person to touch it screwed it up. That's right. And we would dutifully do these investigations, and quite dutifully, with good intent, with good people, to basically determine that somehow the worker failed to insert your comment here, and therefore, that's why the failure happened. Right? And that's just another elaborate way of blaming people. But what it really is, is it goes directly to kind of the first principles of the new understanding of reliability, which is that the worker's not the problem. The worker, in fact, is the problem solver. So, look, I was just, um, I was wrapping up a case just recently where a worker uh, lost part of his hand in a machine. And uh, the, the, the regulator was, was involved and they wanted them to provide effectively a form of investigation. And I sent them the learning team. Yeah, I bet they loved it too. Well, no, the response was, where are the signed statements? Oh, yeah, of course. Where, where, the, some, where is that? Statement, yes. Yeah. And, I, I, and my response was, we, we undertook a restorative process. Yeah. Where the person who was armed was able to participate. That makes me ask this question, because that means we didn't till the soil well enough with the regulators so that they knew what was coming, right? So you sort of surprised them with the new product. It's really funny. I found, so we took a little heat when we first started learning teams. Same reason, because it's the, but we have this format. We have a management review board. We have, you know, an investigation protocol. We have a, we have a system by which we track this kind of learning. And you're not doing any of that crap because you're doing these learning teams. And what was interesting is that once we presented the new learning team work product, then, in fact, people kind of got addicted to it. I mean, because the data was so much better. Right? They, they, they understood so much better. Because no senior leader or regulator really wants a root cause. They say they want a root cause because it's easy and lazy. What they really want is an explanation. I mean, they, they want to understand what happened. And the learning team gives them such a more complete understanding of what happened that they're really happy about it. And what happened with us, which was really interesting, is that the regulators started expecting that. They'd, they'd expect a learning team work product. And when we'd send them up a standard investigation, they would often write a letter back to say, um, could you actually give us your learning team notes on this? we're interested in the learning team work product. And so then it became really easy and I didn't have to sell the learning team idea really to anybody. I mean, the, the regulator liked it. Management really liked it. I mean, they, they really liked it because they learned so much. I mean, well, the corrective actions were done for them and that was handy, right? But they learned so much more and they understood 
how to make sustainable improvement. It'll be interesting to see in this new world, uh, post-COVID world, or COVID world. I don't think we're post-COVID by a long shot. Um, it, so what's happening is that the, the world we were in eight months ago was really aligned towards efficiency. So all of our analysis, our investigations were incredibly efficient. Like we'd have pull-down menus so we could efficiently track events, you know, at the enterprise level, you know, we, we built investigation tools to be efficient, to really serve as accounting systems. And now, now eight months later, the need to optimize for efficiency is not nearly as important as it once was. Now there's a real need to build resilience and you hear it. You must hear it all the time. I hear it all the time on the news. When I talk to senior leaders, the word resilience is really tossed around a lot. And so in order to really create a learning product that supports resilience, we're going to have to move more towards a learning team model because it allows us to capture not just what happened, but it allows us to capture all the places where the system is incredibly fragile, where the black line and the blue line are really, really close to each other or the red line and the blue line are really, really close to each other. There's just not a lot of capacity for variability. That brings to the end of part one with Todd. Join us next time in part two where Todd explores the future of learning teams. Thank you listeners for being part of this podcast. We'd love to hear your learnings from today or other topics you would like us to support you on go to www.podcastlearnings.com and be part of the community practice of learning teams at www.learningteamscommunity.com. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the host and its guest and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the company. Examples of analysis discussed within this podcast are only examples. They should not be utilized in the real world as the only solution available as they are based only on very limited and dated open source information. Assumptions made within this analysis are not reflective of the position of the company. No part of this podcast may be reproduced, stored in a retrieval system or transmitted in any any form or by any means, mechanical, electronic, recording, or otherwise without prior written permission of the creator of the podcast, Jay Allen.